Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, and you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not plant any tree as an Asherah beside the altar of the Lord your God that you shall make. And you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or sheep in which is blemish, any defect whatever, for there is abomination to the Lord your God. If there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing, transgressing his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun, or the moon, or any of the hosts of heaven, which is, I have forbidden, and it is told you and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, and if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones." On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If any case arises requiring decision between one kind of homicide and another, one kind of legal rights and another, or one kind of assault and another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go up to the place that the Lord your God will choose, and you shall come to the Levitical priest and to the judge who is in the office in those days, and you shall consult them, and they shall declare to you the decision that you shall do according to what they declare to you from that place that the Lord will choose. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you, according to the instructions that they give you, and according to the decision which they pronounce to you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God, or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall purge the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear and not act presumptuously again. When you come to the land the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you, who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, You shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it, read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, 
either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. The Levitical priests and all the tribe of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food's offering as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as he promised them. And this shall be the priests due from the people, from those offering sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks of the stomach. The first fruits of your grain and of your wine and of your oil and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons for all time. And if a Levite comes from any of your towns out of all Israel where he lives, and he may come where he desires to a place that the Lord will choose and ministers in the the name of the Lord his God like all his fellow Levites who stand to minister there before the Lord, then he may have equal portions to eat besides what he receives from the sale of his patrimony. When you come into a land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispose or dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord your God will rise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desire of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word that the Lord has not spoken? When the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. The second passage is from 1 Timothy, verse 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Let's come back together. Have you ever been let down by one of your leaders? Uh, Perhaps you've had a terrible boss who treats you unfairly or who's frustrating to work with. You know, they promise you things like uh, better pay, better working conditions, better people to work with, uh, but they never come true on their promises. Or maybe you had an uninspiring captain or uninspiring team leader. They lack charisma. They lack the people management skills. And you can just tell that the team will be better off without their leadership. 
Maybe it was even a church leader. You know, there have been far too many big leadership failures within the church in recent years. Uh, reports of moral failures, of gross public sin, uh, which casts a huge shadow on successful churches and successful ministries. Stories of bullying and abuse by senior pastors towards their staff team or their congregants, uh, which raise questions about what sort of leadership and people we value and uphold to lead our ministries. Um, Alongside the big leadership failures, there's also the smaller ones. Church elders and councils making poor decisions. Team leaders failing to galvanize and envision their ministry teams. Grow leaders lacking thorough preparation for their Bible studies. Pastors choosing their words poorly or lacking pastoral sensitivity or making unpopular and unhelpful changes to things at church. All of these failures can give us, uh, can make us just give up on the whole idea of leadership. Uh, it, can, it can make people not want to aspire towards becoming a leader. Uh, it just feels daunting having all of the pressure and expectation placed on you, you know, the, 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 the tall heights that you can uh, fall from. And, and that's something I definitely felt when I was going through Bible college. Um, you know, hearing all of these stories of all these big-name church pastors being removed from their positions in disgrace— and it made me think, you know, as I, as I looked around uh, my cohort of men and women training to be in ministry, I thought to myself, any one of these men or women uh, could be that in the future. It, that could actually even be me. And these, uh, these ministry failures can also make people feel jaded or cynical or even suspicious towards their leaders. Uh, especially when past actions or inaction have caused deep bitterness and resentment to fester, to the point where you just lose faith in the idea of leadership. Sadly, I think uh, many of us, or actually all of us, have experienced the failures of leadership. And even sadder still, many of our experiences come from our time in the church. What are we to do with leadership failure, especially within our church community? Uh, do we raise up more people like Steve to do ministry coaching, to kind of get our leaders uh, you know, on track? Do we just let our concerns go and recognize it as the unfortunate byproduct of sinners living in a sinful world? Do we let our resentment fester to the point where we become disillusioned with church and with the Christian faith? Do we abandon our leaders altogether and just go at it on our own? Our passage this morning from Deuteronomy 16 to 18 shows us why leadership within God's covenant community matters. And as we hear from God through these passages, we'll, we'll be challenged. We'll be challenged to reflect on the sort of leadership we ought to aspire to, both as we seek to be leaders and as we seek leaders over us. And we'll be encouraged to embrace the leadership that God sets out for us in His Word, a leadership that is embodied ultimately in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So keep your Bibles open at Deuteronomy chapters 16 to 18. We're going to be spending most of our time there. Uh, Let's turn to that now. And uh, in in these chapters, we're right in the middle of Moses' second sermon in Deuteronomy. 
Um, at first glance, these chapters feel a little bit out of place amidst all of the, the rules and statutes. You know, last week we started uh, going through the really finer details of the law and the statutes. Uh, and this kind of feels a little bit out of place, right? It's, now we're going to talk about leadership. But you need to remember why Moses is giving these sermons in the first place. You see, the nation's about to enter the promised land, and they're about to do so without Moses. And so Moses includes a section here about Israel's future leaders, uh, future leaders and future leadership to address the leadership vacuum that he will leave behind upon his death. Now, you might be thinking, why include it here in the middle of a whole bunch of laws? Well, I think two reasons. Firstly, uh, as we read these chapters, we notice that Moses' section on leadership actually takes the form of laws. And it's similar to how, you know, if you're familiar with constitutions, um, there's a section in the constitution of, of companies, of organizations that deals with the appointment of an election of leaders and office barriers. And so there are laws here in Deuteronomy about how God's people are to select and engage with their leaders and about how these leaders are supposed to serve the community. But the other reason I think that it's included within these laws is because these leaders are to enact and minister God's law within God's covenant community. God's law is the reason for their leadership. And their leadership is essential for for the keeping of God's law within God's covenant community especially in the absence of Moses. The laws about leaders are thus appropriately situated in the middle of the laws. The purpose of the leaders is to minister uh, God's law or God's word to his covenant people. And so with that in mind, let's turn to look at these chapters in a bit more detail. Now, according to these laws... What leaders does God's covenant community need? What leaders does God's covenant community need? If you were to think about the covenant community, think about what sort of leaders do we need? What would you say? Well, this is what God says. Our passage this morning identifies four types of leaders. Judges, kings, priests, and prophets. And in each section, we learn firstly how these leaders are chosen. Secondly, what need they meet through their ministry of God's Word. What need they meet through their ministry of God's Word. And thirdly, what their character ought to be as they lead. What their character ought to be as they lead. And so firstly, we go to Judges. So Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18, if you look there in your Bibles, Uh, He says, You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. So firstly, how are these leaders chosen? Well, we see here that they are to be appointed in every town, according to tribe. There's meant to be a judge for every town, a judge for every tribe. Secondly, what does their ministry Uh, What need does their ministry of God's word meet? Uh, Well, we'll uh, we see here that they are to enact and pursue justice within God's covenant community. They're to enact and pursue justice. 
And they do so by judging whether God's people are keeping his covenant word. They are to judge whether God's people are keeping his covenant word. Now, the rest of this section on judges uh, gives some examples of uh, the covenant laws that they are to judge on, and it provides some sort of uh, some judicial process, such as the need for the judge to, uh, to for the judge to base their evidence, uh, their judgment to base on the evidence of two or three witnesses, and for the witnesses to actually be the one to throw the first stone or to be the first one to enact the punishment against the accused. Now, if you think about our own context, think about um, our laws, uh, we immediately can appreciate the need for judges. You know, it takes someone who uh, not just knows the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law in order to enact and maintain justice. Um, let, me, let me illustrate this by giving a very, very, very hypothetical example. Very hypothetical example. Imagine if SLE Church enacted a law that fined people for arriving late to church. Just imagine, just very, very hypothetical. Just, but imagine how much money we could make, right? Like, you know, uh, $50 when you arrive in the first song, $100 in the second song, $200 in the third song. That rude, um, you know, uh, this, is, this is what, this is what uh, 9 a.m. service looks like at 9 a.m. Imagine the, mu- the amount of money. Now, now, the intent of this law, if it were to be enacted, which it wouldn't, uh, is to get those people who are perhaps a little bit disorganized or perhaps don't see it necessary to come for the whole service, uh, to, to get them to see the value of coming to church early. You know, if you come to church early, you can welcome newcomers, you can connect with people, you can prepare your hearts for the service, you can encourage those who serve, especially uh, the musicians who I know it can be quite depressing to, pl- uh, to play music in front of a half-empty room. But if you were to just blindly implement this law without having someone to judge, then you'd end up punishing people who do actually see the value of coming to church early, but for very legitimate reasons were not able to make it on time. You know, those, those who are wrestling their children out of the house and into the car, those who are taking time to comfort or care for someone in need, those who are feeling too anxious or too low to come to church, but still manage to overcome their struggle and make it to church. See, God sees the need for judges to judge people according to His Word and to enact justice in accordance with that Word. And God says that in order for justice to be enacted, These judges need to show impartiality, and they need to be free from corruption. In other words, judges are to be righteous. So that's judges. Uh, The second type of leader Moses talks about is kings. Now, in contrast to judges who were appointed by the people, Moses says that any king over Israel is to be chosen by God. Uh, Do you see that there in um, in verse 15? Uh, You see, God knew that Israel would want a king. They'd want a king, especially after seeing all of their surrounding neighbors, all the surrounding neighbors being ruled by their own powerful king. 
And in particular, God knew that Israel would want a king who was a strong military leader. They'd want a king who had a powerful army who was able to protect and defend against enemy invasion. The problem with that desire is that God was already their king. God was their ruler. God was their defender. God was the one that was going to protect them from the other nations. Uh, As we can see in this passage, nevertheless, God actually permits Israel to have a king. But this king will be different to the nations surrounding them. You see, this king will not be chosen by the people, but will be chosen by God. This king will not be a foreigner. Uh, he will be among, uh, one from among the brothers. He will not amass a large military, not uh, obtain many horses for himself. He will not acquire many wives, nor will he acquire much wealth. Rather, this king is to have his heart soaked in God's word. He is to fear God by keeping his word. Or in other words, he is to model what is required by every Israelite. And so this king would minister God's word by being a king who rules under God's word. A king who, in keeping God's law, would lead his nation to do the same. And this is why, as we read in verse 20, he is to rule with humility. His heart is not to be lifted up above his brothers. Rather, he is to recognize that he submits to God's word just like everyone else. And this reflects the truth that while this person, while this king may be Israel's king, he, along with the whole nation, are ultimately ruled by God. So that's God's king. The third leader is the priests. And the priests, uh, we read there in verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 1, that the priests were chosen based on just them being part of the tribe of Levi. Uh, they, they are a descendant of Levi, one of uh, Israel's sons. And their role involved offering sacrifices in line with God's law. Now, these sacrifices were, uh, were necessary under God's law uh, as part of His covenant rules and regulations. Uh, and these sacrifices reflected the need for God's people to atone for their sins. And so, uh, so the priest then ministered by interceding on behalf of God's people in accordance with God's word. They were the ones that presented the sacrifices on behalf of the people to atone for their sins. Now, it's worth noting that Moses uh, in chapter 18 doesn't go into much detail about the responsibilities of the priests compared to uh, the other two roles so far. And I think that's because uh, priests already exist within God's covenant community. Remember, uh, Moses is talking about how these uh, leaders are going to be, uh, are going to function, going to be appointed when they enter the land. But priests are, already exist within God's covenant community. And so, uh, and their responsibilities as they enter the land weren't expected to change much once the nation enters their land. But what Moses does talk about is the need for the nation to provide for these priests. 
You see, once the tribes of Israel enter the land, they're going to settle into their allotted locations, you know, into their land inheritances. The tribe of Dan would go here. The tribe of, um, you know, uh, Judah would go here. They would all have their inheritance. But the Levites, uh, we know uh, from the previous parts of the Bible, that the Levites would not have their own inheritance in the land because God was their inheritance. Instead, the Levites would be spread out amongst all of the other tribes. And that's because they were the priests. They were the ones that would make sacrifices on behalf of the people. And because of this arrangement, they were to be provided for by the other tribes through the sacrifices they made to God. Uh, So like uh, someone from the tribe of Dan would offer up their their firstborn lamb uh, and uh, the Levites would sacrifice it and then they would get to eat it. And so Moses uh, gives this law about the priests to ensure that the priests who were crucial for interceding in accordance with God's law were provided for. And so the character of the priests, what they needed to be, was that they needed to be dependent. They needed to be dependent on the provision and support that came from the covenant sacrifices of their brothers and sisters. So that's the priests. Lastly, uh, from verses uh, 9 to 22, Moses speaks about prophets. Uh, We read there uh, in verse 15, how uh, how are prophets chosen? Well, they are raised up by God himself, just as Moses was. And how are they to to minister God's word? Well, they minister by speaking God's word. And what is their character? Well, they are to be faithful. They are to speak God's word with utmost fidelity. And so it's fitting that Moses describes the role of the prophet, not with his own words, but by quoting God's words directly, which we see there from verse 17. See, God clarifies that the role of the prophet uh, as those who speak the words which God has put on his mouth. And God also clarifies that these words require a response. Uh, and it's worth noting here what God is clarifying about prophets and about prophecy. You see, in God's own words, a prophet is one who speaks God's word. And so uh, prophecy is, uh, in the, at least in this instance in the scriptures, is God's revelatory word to his people. It's God's word that reveals himself to his people. Uh, Prophecy is not to be understood in this context as some form of fortune-telling or divination or or some sort of seeing into the future. And actually, in verses uh, 9 to 14, Moses explicitly labels those sorts of practices as detestable, as abominable, 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 in verses 9 to 14 and thus not a true source of God's word. Rather, a prophecy is God's word to his people. It is spoken through his prophets, and it requires a response. Now, uh, the first prophet of Israel is actually Moses. Moses is the first prophet, and his prophecy is actually God's covenant word, what we read here in Deuteronomy. And what's the response required? Well, it's love and obedience. 
And later on in uh, Israel's history, many more prophets will arise. And their prophecy from God uh, tends to be about the threat of exile because they have disobeyed God's covenant word spoken by Moses, their first prophet. And often the response required from these later prophets uh, of Israel is that they are to repent and they are to turn back to God. So that's, uh, that's judges, that's priests, uh, kings, priests, and prophets. So why does leadership matter in God's covenant community? Well, as we've seen so far, the impending death of Moses leaves a leadership vacuum for the nation of Israel. And so God legislates the need for leaders who will enact and minister God's covenant word within his covenant community. And it requires these leaders to have the character that befits their ministry. Judges are to be righteous. Kings are to be humble. Priests are to be dependent. And prophets are to be faithful. Now, how are we to learn, and, uh, to learn from and apply these passages today? Should we also have judges and kings and priests and prophets in our church community? Now, I remember many, many years ago uh, listening to a talk by a prominent American pastor who said exactly this. He mentioned that church leaders, uh, and particular church pastors, ought to see themselves as prophets, priests, and kings. Uh, and he, uh, you know, he was talking to a bunch of Christian leaders, and he mapped uh, these different aspects of his own personal pastoral ministry onto these types of leaders. So he said that when he preached, uh, he was exercising his prophetic role. When he made decisions about the church, well, that was exercising his kingship. When he counseled people who were struggling with sin, perhaps, he was exercising his priestly ministry. Now, as convincing and as influential and big name as this pastor was, looking back on that, I think I have to disagree with him. Because I think he makes the mistake of taking an Old Testament passage like this and applying it straight to us in our context today without considering the gospel of Jesus. You see, if you follow the trajectory of of these laws throughout the whole Old Testament, we see that the leaders that Israel appoints or the leaders that are chosen, they ultimately let Israel down. Yeah, there are are some leaders that rise to the occasion. You You know, David was a king after God's own heart. But even David fell short. And eventually, Israel strays away from God's covenant word. And the result is that ultimately, God exiles Israel from this promised land that they are about to enter into. But you see, where Israel's leaders fail, there is one leader of Israel who succeeds. One leader of Israel who perfectly fulfills all of the leadership requirements of Deuteronomy 16 to 18. The Lord Jesus is the true judge, the true king, the true priest, and the true prophet. He perfectly fills Israel's leadership vacuum. But he does so in uh, somewhat surprising ways. And the key to understanding uh, these, uh, how Jesus does this 
is through his saving work on the cross, which culminates in his resurrection. You see, the resurrection confirms Jesus as the true righteous judge, the one who will pass judgment on the living and the dead. And those who reject his gospel will be judged to condemnation and destruction. And those who believe will be judged to eternal life. But he is also the judge who faced judgment on our behalf as he bore our sins on the cross. He is the righteous judge who was judged. And in fact, it is because of the judgment he faced on the cross that we can actually stand before his righteous judgment and be forgiven. The resurrection likewise confirms Jesus as the true humble king, the Lord of all creation. But Jesus himself declares that he came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. See, he is the king who humbled himself to serve, and he serves by humbling himself to death on the cross. As the risen and ascended King Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God, where he intercedes for us as our great high priest. But he can intercede as our great high priest because he offers a once-for-all sacrifice. And unlike the priests in Israel uh, who provide, have to provide sacrifices all the time, Jesus provides the perfect, sufficient once for all sacrifice in himself. His sacrifice, his death on the cross, completely deals with our sins, and his resurrection proves that his sacrifice is enough. And so Jesus is our forever high priest who intercedes by offering himself as the once for all sacrifice on which we depend on. And finally, Jesus not only speaks God's word as the true faithful prophet, but he is God's word made flesh. God spoke through the prophets um, uh, in many forms, in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And every prophecy that Jesus speaks is fulfilled in himself. You see, Jesus is both the prophet and the subject of his prophecies. Do you see how in every instance, Jesus fulfills, he subverts, and he abolishes every leadership role in Deuteronomy 16 to 18. The stipulations for judges, kings, priests, and prophets were on one level God's instruction and provision for his people as they sought to live under his covenant word, But on another level, they serve to point his people to the one who would perfectly fulfill these leadership roles by enacting God's new covenant word in his death and resurrection. This passage shows us why leadership matters in God's covenant community. And it points us to the only leader who matters in God's covenant community. You see, do you see the difference the gospel makes 
uh, to how we apply Deuteronomy 16 to 18 to our community today. You know, if we were to structure our church leadership based on this judge, king, priest, prophet framework, our trajectory would probably be the same as Israel. We will eventually be let down by our leaders. But the gospel shows us that our church already has the perfect judge, the perfect king, the perfect priest, the perfect prophet. His name is Jesus. And as our true and perfect leader, he will never, never let us down. Now, does this, uh, does this mean that we do away with human leadership in our churches? You know, since Jesus is the true leader, the only leader, should we just abolish our leadership structures, get rid of our elders, get rid of the church council, get rid of the pastors, I'll be out of a job, get rid of our grow leaders, and just, just let Jesus take charge? Well, I, I agree. Jesus is in charge of our church. Everyone submits to his lordship. But Jesus' leadership doesn't abolish the need for leaders in our church. Now, while, while it's true that we no longer appoint judges, we no longer have kings or priests or prophets, we still appoint leaders who are righteous, who are humble, who are dependent, who are faithful. We appoint leaders to minister God's word within God's new covenant community under the lordship of Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul affirms the goodness of having leaders uh, in church, and that's what we read in our second reading in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You see, in his letters to Timothy, Paul responds to reports of false teaching uh, in the church uh, by referring to this well-known and trustworthy saying. The saying is that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, uh, which in this case refers to the oversight role that leaders uh, have within God's church to uphold the truth of the gospel, if anyone aspires to that office, then they desire a noble task. Now, notice Paul's response uh, to false teaching isn't to do away with leaders and teachers. He could have very easily gone, oh, there's false teachers. Why don't you just, just get rid of all leaders? Just get rid of all the leaders in church. That's, that'll solve the issue. No, Paul's response is instead to affirm the goodness of the work of leaders, their work in protecting the church by upholding and ministering God's word. And it should be the same with us today as we respond to the failings of our leaders. We need to affirm the goodness of those aspiring to be leaders, those aspiring to minister God's word within his church. Now, what might they look like for us as a church? What might that look like? Well, firstly, we need to uphold our leaders. Uphold our leaders in their character and in their submission to Jesus. See, we affirm the goodness of leadership by holding our leaders to the standard that God expects. And the areas of character that we see in Deuteronomy are a great start. Let's be praying that our leaders would be righteous in their conduct, humble in their attitude, dependent in their prayers, faithful in proclaiming and witnessing to the gospel. 
most importantly, let's be praying that our leaders would submit to Jesus, their true leader, and rely on Him to grow their character and enable them to preach Him. Now, of course, everything I've just said applies just as much to all of us who are not in formal leadership positions. You see, as a church community, we minister God's Word to one another. We lead each other by ministering God's Word to one another. We do, we do so in our discussions after our sermons, um, in our conversations over lunch, in our grow groups as we study God's Word, in our coffee catch-ups, in our WhatsApp conversations. So as you pray for your leaders, pray also for yourselves. Secondly, we need to show grace to our leaders. Yep, show grace to our leaders. And show grace to them, especially when they fail. Because we recognize that they, our leaders, are not Jesus. Now, that, that's not to say that we let our leaders off the hook just because they're not Jesus. You know, I, I hope you do, uh, you know, keep your leaders accountable. I hope that when I fail as your pastor, then you will let me know and keep me accountable. That you will tell me what I've said, that, that what I've said or what I've done has harmed you or neglected you or failed to love you or show you grace. But at the same time, we want to recognize that Jesus is the true leader of our church. And while our leaders will aspire to become more like Christ, they will inevitably let you down. Because like you, they are sinners in need of grace. So, when you do let your leaders know that they have fallen short, you know, give, give them space to apologize. Affirm their desire to grow in Christ-likeness. Extend forgiveness to them, just as God has forgiven you. And thirdly and finally, we need to continue to remember and recognize that Jesus is Lord. Ultimately, we follow Jesus. We serve Jesus. We submit to His leadership and obey Him as the final Word of God. And as we do this, uh, we will be able and willing to uphold our leaders and show grace to them.